Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the Tiger Pit is brought to you by Athlon Rub. Athlon Rub is the next generation in performance and recovery for all sports. It is a new approach on the traditional Thai oil formula, founded on the time-tested formula and enhanced through proven ingredients. Made in an FDA and ISO certified lab in the USA, certified and continually tested by Informed Choice to be free of banned substances, PEDs, and cross-contamination. You can go to athlonrub.com and take a look at all the products they have available, read testimonials from users, and see what everybody else is saying. And when you got some things in your cart, get an additional 10% off when you use the promo code the Tiger Pit. That's athlonrub.com and promo code the Tiger Pit for an additional 10% off all the cool stuff you're gonna buy. We are also brought to you by Knock My Legends. Knock My Legends celebrates the heroes, legends, and icons of Muay Thai and kickboxing. Their mission is to create art in the form of apparel that honors each fighter's contribution to the sport and the art we love. They also have a great selection of shirts, gear, and accessories that highlight the greats from the sport from the past up until today. You can go to knockmylegends.com, that's N-A-K-M-U-A-Y legends.com, as well as Facebook and Instagram, and check out what they have, and when you're ready to buy something, you're at checkout. Enter the promo code the Tiger Pit for an additional 10% off your purchase. Again, that's knockmylegends.com, N-A-K-M-U-A-Y legends.com, or knockmylegends on Facebook and Instagram. This episode also brought to you by Diplomatico Rum. Diplomatico is distributed in over 80 countries around the world. It holds the Ron de Venezuela DOC and is recognized as one of the world's finest rums. They have three different ranges for your tastes. Traditional, Prestige, and the Distillery Collection. You can find them online at rondiplomatico.com. That's Ron, R-O-N, which means rum in Spanish. Anyways, it's rondiplomatico.com to learn more about who they are and find out some history behind one of the world's greatest rums. We are also brought to you by Unplugged Essentials. Hemp is at the core of their innovation. However, not all hemp is created equal. Instead of using either isolated CBD or cannabis oil, which are the most popular cannabis-derived products on the market right now, they have infused their soaks with a water-soluble, hemp-derived, phytocannabinoid-rich powder. This way, they make sure that all their products take advantage of the several hundred bioactive components present in hemp. They also make no compromise in quality to ensure each batch is lab-tested and 100% THC-free. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook or go to unpluggedfloatessentials.com and get yours today. And you can use the promo code THETIGERPIT at checkout for an additional 10% off your order. That's Unplugged Essentials on Instagram and Facebook and unpluggedfloatessentials.com online. And like I said, use the promo code THETIGERPIT for 10% off your order. All right, and this is for our New York friends and listeners here. Um, we are also brought to you by the Stepping Razor Barbershop at 952 Flushing Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. The Stepping Razor leans into the realm of the classic 1940s American barbershop. They specialize in American classic traditional haircuts and shaves, but are versatile and can do much, much more. You can check them out on Instagram at the Stepping Razor Barbershop or go to thesteppingrazor.com to book your appointment and get yourself looking good and feeling good. And lastly, we are brought to you by the Dojo NYC at 1082 Cypress Avenue in Ridgewood. 
The Dojo NYC is a fully equipped martial arts training center specializing in Cobrinha Jiu-Jitsu, traditional Muay Thai, and MMA. Whether you want to go and just get a good workout or compete at a high level, it's a great place to train. You can also go to the thedojonyc.com and check out their classes, instructors, programs, and even sign up for a free trial class which hopefully after you do that, you'll sign up for more and keep going and get better at jujitsu, Muay Thai, whatever it is you're going for. That's the dojonyc.com online and the dojonyc on Instagram. All right. Our guest on this episode is one of our oldest friends. He was a staple in the Brooklyn music scene for as long as I can remember as a solo artist, a collaborator, and with his band, the Boogie Rock Boys. He spent a couple of decades as a bouncer in New York City and came to know just about everybody, and damn near everybody knows him. Doesn't matter where in the world you go. Uh, We recorded this episode a few months ago, so please bear with us. I was down as some technical difficulties, but we're back. So without further ado... Would you please welcome to the Tiger Pit, Mr. Polly Ethnic. On the next episode of Adventures in Animals. It's a Kavarian and a Polish guy. Okay, we'll start the podcast right here. It's 9 o'clock. It's dark enough. I'm putting on my ninja suit. That's the part, right? You gotta get into your head. Now you're struggling with your words. Check the Yelp reviews. I'm sure they have like four. It's amazing. I was trying to get that out, and I had a hard time struggling in my head. They just see something they don't recognize me. Check out immediately. I had a point. I had a point. Coming to the stage. I've heard this many times from different sources. You didn't even know me when I was hanging out there. That sounds like such a burnout thing to do. Tiger Pit. We Welcome have, to the Tiger Pit, Mr. Paulie. We have lift off. All Are right. Ready to turn sideways? Yeah, there you go. Much better. Like a hologram. <laughs> Max Hedrum. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Max Hedrum. That shit was crazy back in the day, right? Those sunglasses, man. That shit's iconic. Headshot. So how you been, man? How you been? I'm going to pull this bitch closer so you get to see my grill. So I've been good, man. I've been pissed off all day. Why? What happened? I've just been watching fucking politics. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and all that shit. And actually, I wrote a bunch of shit down that I, I want to talk to you guys about anyway. Excellent. Lay it on me. Because it, you said it was a hang, and I'm just like, the shit that's been on my mind, honestly, is like, who... Does, does anyone know what the fucking Constitution... Am I allowed... I'm allowed to swear, right? Yes. Because I, I can't... I don't really have a good filter, and I'm, is, and I'm honest, is. too. But what I'm saying is, like, does anyone actually know the Constitution? Like, I would like to go into the street and say... And I know. See, what? there's, like, an escape glitch that's going on, right? Everyone's like, well, this is this way, and this is that way, and this is that way. But there's a current situation going on, right? There's a current situation that is all related to the politics that we live in and that we're dealing with. And so you got to know the rules of the game that you're playing in at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you don't know those rules, it don't matter if it doesn't matter. And I'm not being emotionless. It doesn't matter what happens to any race or any type of people on the planet unless you know the rules of the game. If you don't know the rules of the game and what the parameters are for the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and yeah. all the amendments on it, yeah. then it's like you're already at a disadvantage, and then you're also ignorant for not knowing. Well, yeah, and it's like if you me. went in the street and talked to people and asked them, how many amendments are there? You know, what are, what, what's the Third Amendment? What's the, what's the 18th Amendment? Shit mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's like, 
You know, it's a population of uneducated people when it comes to things that they talk about all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, cops definitely, like, bank on you not knowing your rights. Right. That's what they want, you know. That's how they get you. And, like, and, and of course, the situation, like, uh, all those different types of things, right? And then it just, there's a giant snowball effect that kind of happens in my mind where it's like you have the Christian religion, right, that creates blind faith as a, as a basis of what's going on, right? So people just believe. Yeah. They don't go in depth mm -hmm. to what the realities of what they're talking about is. And so recently, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm so charged about it, because I went to church with my girl. I went to church, and I sat there, and I listened. Uh -huh. What kind I of just church thought, was it? What kind of denomination? What, what denomination? It was just a, oh, it was a very open Christian place called The Rock. Okay. And they play music on stage. It actually looked like a club. Whoa. It didn't even look like a church. It was, to me, it was not a sacred space. Yeah. I grew up Irish Catholic, and, yeah. and, I, and being in Japan, and all those different types of spiritual temples, you go into a mosque. Yeah. Different types of faith. Yeah. When it's a holy space, you feel it. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't care what religion it is or whatever. You go into that space, it's a holy place. This place felt like a like a like there was a bad rock band on stage and a hipster telling me about Jesus. Yeah, I've seen these places. I got a friend who's who's Islam. Mm -hmm. And then we went to we, we conversate all the time. He's a very cool person, very respectful. I love the way he carries himself. But he's talking about Abrahamic religions. Right. And then once you start, and then I, it sent me on a whole journey about Abrahamic religions. Mm -hmm. And then basically everybody worshiping the same God of a different name and the rules are varied by culture. Right. And so I went deeply into that. And I was like, I'm a, I like to investigate. I want to know. I want to have something that holy and something that's been told like that to me since I was a baby. Mm -hmm. I want to know about that. I have love for God. I don't know what that means. But what it brought me down is to divinity. It brought me above this world where there was a separation between male and female. Mm -hmm. Male and female is an earthly thing. Right. In the divine, we're all... In the divine, we're spirit form. Right. That's to me. That's what I figured out after listening to Joseph Campbell and then figuring out some stuff like that. So while I'm sitting here by myself, because I hang out by myself with my girl and my guitar, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people in this area that are super Christian, and if you don't believe what they believe, they cast you out. Of course. There's a lot of separation. I mean, that's everywhere. But, but I'm just saying, this place is... it's. There's some places you crack the shell and it's very interesting inside. People around this mm -hmm. area, they wear it on their sleeve and then there's a lot of side stuff that goes on. Yeah. Where if, if you're not from here, they're just talking to you about you. Yeah. You know, it's a lot from of there, from there for people who are listening and they don't know where you're coming from right now, where you at? You gotta tell the people where you at. I'm in I'm in Conway, South Carolina, right near about 20 miles east of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, mm -hmm. in Horry County. And it's infamous for being an unmovable place. Unmovable. Unmovable. The people are unmovable. They, are, they have a certain lifestyle. They want to keep that lifestyle. 
They don't want people invading. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they look at you like that. And the whole Yankee rebel thing, like, That's it is damage. real. Yeah. It is real. They yeah. believe you an invader. Where do you fit in now with that? I fit in wherever I want. No doubt. Because these people are so determined. It's, it's like, yo, I met a beautiful girl. I got me and her learning each other, having fun with that. But mm-hmm. we're a mixed couple. Sure. She's a black woman from Washington, D.C., who feels it a lot more than I do. Like when someone, like from a white person's perspective, right? And mm-hmm. just being me and learning on my feet, just like everybody else. Uh, I'm sitting in a bar. And the bartender pours us two drinks. And then one of the guys, one of the ladies bartending happens to know me. I work with her. She's a truck driver as well. But her husband's there. He's drunk off his ass. And she starts talking about another guy that we work with, his wife. And she says, and he looks at me and says, his wife was drunker than 99 niggers. I'm sitting next to my girl. What? She's in the room? She's there? She's sitting next to me. They use this word like air. You breathe. That's crazy. It comes out. It's so real. And so what did I do? How do I protect my girl? How do I have the honor, right? Mm-hmm. But but I didn't know what to do. I felt like knocking the dude out. But what am I going to do? Go to jail right there? Right. So me and my girl finished our drink. And when we walked out, she was upset at me because we didn't just walk out right away. And so I felt like we were leaving, but it, I didn't leave quick enough so it was an issue because she was like you need to protect me you're my man mm-hmm. and so i'm like damn because that hasn't happened to me like that in my life mm-hmm. i don't react the same way am i wrong i felt horrible that she was uncomfortable but that kind of situation and me being me who is truly a lover of all people like i try to connect on a daily basis i make it part of my spiritual that's my that's my motive to yeah. meet and connect and be with people. Y'all know me, but it was like that. And so lessons like that happen where I need to learn how to renegotiate something that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. And so there's like a timetable that that stuff happens in that I feel like it needs it. It obviously needs to quicken up, but it's like, how do you do that when, when it's such an ugly thing and when the situation pops, it's like you're almost so shocked that that still lives and breathes, mm-hmm. you know? And then her emotional place about feeling racism, and then when when it comes up on the news, it's an emotionally disturbing thing on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes up on the news, that's when you also start to see, um, and I can relate, like you start to see the subtle shit that gets put into the delivery of how it's presented, you know? Most white people will just, that will just go right past them. But then you start to see the subtlety, the, the little extra subtle shit that they put in there to make it look even worse or to make it angled at someone. That subtle shit, like being white and being in the situation like that, it's not something we're normally used to dealing with because it's, it's not what we deal with. But it takes the time it's going to take because those things get presented and you learn from, you know, you, you learn how to take your cues and do what you need to do in that situation. It's not easy. But I know what you're saying. Like, sometimes it's just, it's like getting hit in the head with a hammer. You're like, Did that shit just happened? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's always been weird for me because I get it from both sides. And white people will just say the craziest shit around me because they think that they don't even know what to think. They don't even think right. I'm black at all. <laughs> they just think I'm mm-hmm. like, 
Navy Spanish, you know what I'm saying? They're African, right? But you get a light skin pass or some shit. Mm-hmm. And that's like a whole nother part of black culture that people don't realize either. Yeah, oh, I straight up, I, I, I've straight up, especially with like like older bikers, like down here in Massachusetts, they have said crazy shit around me, man. And literally be like, oh, but you're not black like that. Oh, you're not that kind of black. They said that shit. Oh, uh, that's an atypical thing. Mm-hmm. You know? That's like yeah. the white person excuse. Oh, mm-hmm. there's... There's, and, and I hate even using the language, but there's like, oh, there's white niggers, and then there's good, then there's good white people, and then there's, there's niggers, and then there's black people. And I'm like, dude, this shit is gross. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the place, too. And then when you start dealing with, like, people from Africa, and then also, like, Islanders, and, like, they, shit just gets crazy, man. And Creole people got weird shit with that, too, because then it's classism in between the race, where... You know, you got people from the same family. One is darker than the other, and they look down upon that person or whatever. It's just crazy. It's like, that's colonization, but. Uh, but, 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 but the thing, people don't, people don't realize that the, there is such a giant residual effect that has happened for so long, and that this information thing, it's like Facebook. People hate Facebook, but they love Facebook. And that whole shit is the razor's edge. It really is. Because Donald Trump today, right, talking about regulating. Yeah, I saw that. You know, that's that's Amendment 1. Mm-hmm. So when you have all these people who are about firearms and Amendment and the Second Amendment, and then Donald Trump, who is their boy, well, dude, he's trying to get Amendment number 1, freedom of speech. The yeah. purpose of the people who created the country, you know, and uh, the whole bunch of atrocities after that. Yeah, what's the thing he's trying to do? I don't know too much about it, but it happens to deal with social media. He wants to regulate what you can and cannot do on Facebook and other social media platforms. It's freedom of speech, man. It's a simple thing. It's the First Amendment. It says you cannot hinder free press. And it's because he was getting fact-checked? He got fact-checked. Yeah, and I don't know if it's that or or well, like that, was the that particular instant. Yeah, but he probably was thinking somebody needs to regulate this situation, right? Because he's his thing is control. That's what they're about. Right. Their whole collective is about control and right. what we're doing. But also to play devil's advocate for a second, let's say that Donald Trump was not the the president doing that. Let's say it was some other guy, right? So we we'll take the whole like hate. I hate Donald Trump thing out of the picture. Let's deal with someone else. Let's say it's president number two and he's great, right? But he wants to get rid of, he wants to do the same bill. I'm just, I just want to hear something. I want to understand something. What is it exactly that he's going to do? Like he, they, he doesn't want social media to fact check you. So is that, could that be, could that be a weird thing if social media is fact checking you? Like to allow well, the media to be like this, like entity that can say, oh, what he's saying is incorrect. What if he's saying, what if he's, what is somebody saying is, is correct actually, but let's say social media has the kind of overreach where now they're saying, oh, the shit Danny's saying is incorrect, but it is correct. But they can tell if they want to silence me, they can just kind of say I'm incorrect. Yeah. But that's like, um, Tipper Gore. Yeah. PMRC right? Tipper Gore thing. was on a democratic, was with, with Al Gore. Mm-hmm. She wanted to regulate lyrics in hip hop. Right, right. I remember that, yeah. She got shut down, and it doesn't matter if, if like, you can say whatever you want to say. That's the thing, man. If you believe that there are purple insects 
running around New Mexico kidnapping children, and that's what you believe in your head, you can say that. Yeah. It's okay. I, it's your responsibility as a personal, as a human being to fact check, man. Right. Like, uh -huh. you know, you got to fact, you got to check what it is. You got to, that's what, that's what I was getting so mad about. Because coming around again, it was, I feel like if I went on the street with a microphone and I said, hey, how many amendments are there? People would be like, um, I don't know. And then you'd be like, okay, well, what's the, what's the first amendment? Right. You know, they know about the Second Amendment all the time because it's on the TV all the time talking about who can and who right. cannot have guns. And it's a constant thing. Yeah. So, so it's like that kind of thing is just a, it's, it spins around and around and around. And at a certain point, I'm like, what do you, what do, you do? How are these people, like the, the cop over in Minneapolis, another issue that, that, that we're talking about. Like this guy had 12 separate violations yeah, he had a long list on his of, record. Uh, yeah, but I was saying the mayor of, of Minneapolis on television today on ABC, he said, as far as he knows, he and what he's been told, he feels this was a racist act. Yeah, this was an act <laughs> of racism. It was murder. Yeah, murder. My mom's a nurse. He said the way she said the way that his knee is on his neck. There's a carotid artery. That's yeah. how when you give somebody yeah. that, it's yeah. a sleeper hole. But he yeah. crushed it. He must have crushed and damaged it. And then the man passed away. Or, or he just he held can't it too do long. That. He's just, just holding it too long. Brother, it's it's just, it's it's rampant is what the problem is. And like, I'm not saying my, my, my older stepbrother is a police officer. I've talked to him about it. And his thing was cops are people and people are fucked up. I'm like, it ain't that easy, man. What do you got to do? You got to put, like, if you're a military guy, it takes, in order to police correctly, I think you probably have to be an extremely exemplary person. Yes, 100%. To see what you see on a daily basis and to not be crushed as a human being, I think you have to be beyond, yeah. beyond belief exemplary of a human being. And there are some guys out there and ladies that are, doing what they're supposed to do but there are but it's also, a small amount <laughs> you know that people choose their roles for certain reasons and, these, and you know at the end of the day too policemen are not vetted enough either like you just join the force like what the fuck <laughs> you know what I, mean? I feel like it should be a, a part of the military personally yeah yeah well yeah i feel like you have to be they should involved. be drug tested you know, they should have psychological evaluation. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know. They do. You think you think they're drug tested? Not nah, negative. I don't know. I don't know if they're drug tested, but I do know some police officers and they do psychologically test people. There are different tests, that's for sure. Yeah, I know I know in New, in New York they, they do uh drug tests on them. Mm, but all them cops that are on fucking PEDs, how are they passing those tests? Oh, it depends what okay. they're checking for, right? They may be checking for like cocaine, you know. Or, like, right. Three days, any opiate, cocaine, anything like that. Three days yeah. is out of your system. But unless you're, you know, unless you're a sports figure in the Olympics, they're not checking for PEDs and exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of other stuff that'll make you crazier that they're not checking for. Yeah, I mean, some like that. I mean, tons of cops are all jacked up, man. They're all juiced up, man. 
And that shit will make you fucking lose it on people. Easily. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're ready to throw down. You're ready to go to the ultimate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're just heightened all the time. And then the rage kicks in after you haven't, because you can't do too many days in a row. And then that day you got to take off. Now you're out on patrol and you, that's how you're feeling. That's not good for anybody. A funny side story, right? My boy, I was living in New Mexico, right? My boy and his girl lived in the basement apartment. We lived upstairs with my boy, another one of my friends. I want to say their names. I went to knock on his door, right? He was getting roided up, working out. Like, he took the he took that the day before. No, the dude, I tried to tell her that his brother called. This dude was so roided out. I heard the gun cock behind the door. I was like, kill! I was up the stairs. I mean, I, you know, I don't have anything against PED use under the right circumstances. If you use it correctly and it's for athletic purposes. But police officers should probably stay clear of it. Anyone who has to handle a gun on a job right, shouldn't have it. Well, most people with pistols, I don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I don't think that the populace is responsible. If you want to get a shotgun or a rifle and you want to roll through the woods and you want to hunt, I understand that, right? But if you're just rolling, pistols are not meant for killing wild hogs. Right, pistols is a whole other They make pop people in the street. Or in the house. You think about, you think about the, the people who are pissed off because they got to wear a mask at a grocery store in Michigan. Dude, they have bulletproof vests and AR-15. They rolled up in the state capitol. I know, that's wild. Put together 15 black dudes or Spanish dudes. And let them roll in. No, them fools will but be they laid did. out. They actually did, though. They did. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, escorted. Yeah, they escorted um, one of the lawmakers there. Oh, I want to yeah. see that. It was like 20, 20 black dudes with guns. With um, that was a problem. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a problem, but it definitely like got some. It got some looks. <laughs> you know, it, like people. It made the news. That's how I know about it. That's uh-huh. like yo, Killer Mike. Yeah, yeah. He made he made one of the best points on on yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I support ownership, so, you know. Well, Killer Mike, he's, for me, he's the most famous cat at this point that says the most intelligent things about revolution. Like, he's just, he spoke before, and then he talks about this guy's ahead of him. He's like, we need black revolution. He was like, let me get a show of hands on how many of y'all know how to shoot. Right. How many of y'all know how to grow vegetables? How many of y'all have land? You're not ready for a revolution. I watch that show. I'm pro legal gun ownership for minorities. You know, like minorities should be armed with legal gun ownership. He made one of the best points in that interview he did with Colin Noir from the NRA, where he was like, "People think that um, the NRA is the only um, yeah. organization like that, right? And there's many, many more. So, and the way you change things is, is you flood the ranks." So if people start applying for permits, it's going to move up. It's going to get more visibility and it's going to have more power, you know? Because even the NRA now, I had an NRA card when I was younger. I had to take a hunter safety course and, you know, you learn how to handle and everything. And the NRA back then, it was a completely different organization than it is now. Like completely. It was all about gun safety, knowing how to handle it, being safe and everything like that. Where now it's just about who can can have have firearms, you know? Yeah, that's why I I push for... Like, I'm down for black and brown legal responsible gun ownership. Like, it shouldn't just be, like, white guys with guns. <laughs> right. Like, I'm just saying, if you're a human being, and since we're talking about the laws and regulations of today, yo, whoever you are, if you go through the course, if you have the legal right, yeah, 
then you should be able to. You know what I'm saying? But there's a problem when it comes to I think the I think the statistics that thirteen percent of all African descent people in America are felons. Well, yeah, I know that's the issue. Um so there's a large population that would actually be armed that cannot be armed. Right. Well, that's why you send them, you know, pick people up for bullshit and run them through the system. So then that just takes away, you know, the same way it's set up for us to have rights. It's also set up if you game the system right, you can take away rights on a very, very, very large scale. And and with all Patriot Acts and all kinds of things like that, that they yeah. rights, they could take them quicker. It really is like, you know, that's I'm just trying to figure out lately the rules of the game at the current state we're in. Like, what are the rules of the game? And, and I'm saying game, but it ain't it ain't a game. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's so right. heavy, man. It's so heavy. But if you're not educated, you at least got to be educated to what's going on. Because I mean, the rules of the game is that... M- trip them up. Most of the time, majority of the time when you're walking around and you're a person of color, it's not working out for us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's the name of the game. And you always have to be... I mean, I'm yellow. You know, I'm Creole. You know my family. You know how it goes. I don't trust many people. I, I expect everybody to be racist. Well, look at me. I got my farmer jeans on. I wore these in New York, right? But I got this big old red beard. You see me? And I work with the old boys, man. I work, I'm work. i a dump truck driver in a county in South Carolina. Yeah. Mind you, the first states to see, and they are attached to that identity. Yeah. And so when they feel comfortable, see, there's a, there's like a... There's the white people here, and there's the black people. And then there's the Mexican folks, right? But the way that they deal with each other is not dealing with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how they, like, they'll see each other and be civil, but there's, like, the, the guy I spoke to the other day who's telling me he's Christian, and he doesn't like it if you swear around him. Then he gets in the conversation about how I'm with a black woman, but he feels he he, he wasn't supposed to be with a black. And I'm like, well, what if this girl just loved you? And he's like, no, nah, that's, that's just not. Even that simple of an idea is unfathomable. Crazy. Because it's somebody like but that. Because they see reality. everything. Right. Yeah. It is it's total reality. And it's, the, it's their reality of they can only see two people through that scope of black yeah. and white. They fear. They fear. Yeah. That's, ex- that, that's all it is. Having this conversation. Of course it's fair. Um, it's also conditioning. Exactly. Total you know, conditioning. You know, decades, centuries of conditioning. Centuries of conditioning. Yo, I fight that shit on a daily, bro. When they say that shit around me, I say something right away. Of course. I check. I, if you want to call it my own people, or those are my people, they're not my fucking people. I would the fact that we're humans, <laughs> I might look like you, but I am not you. Nah. You're, you're, and I'm going to check you every time because I'm not afraid of you, bro. Yeah. Right. No. You, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you're I'm like their worst nightmare, actually. <laughs> you're like their worst nightmare. <laughs> well, that's what it is. It's the fear. It's the fear that I can have a black hero. It's also their own fear because they can't put you into the box in their head. Yeah, that's right. So they can't compartmentalize you. And then now you're facing having to open your mind up a little bit. That's the scariest fucking thing in the world for some people. It's you so- got to change. You got to change your point of view. Are you crazy? You know what I'm saying? Like, that that's almost impossible. Who's that musician that changed all these, like, KKK members? He changed their minds, and they, like, handed over their robes and hoods to him. Daryl something? Like, 200 KKK guys gave their hood and capes to him. Are you talking about Darius Rucker? 
No, no, no. He's like a like a keyboard player, I think, and he he goes around meeting with KKK members. He's a black dude, and he sits down with them, makes becomes friends, like literally legit friends with these people, and changes their minds, like reconditions them, reprograms them, and they hand over their cape and hood to him, and he goes around collecting these fucking things like trophies. Because well, dude, he's like that's a hero. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's fucking bananas that he does. I mean, how fucking dangerous is that, number one? You know what I mean? Daryl Davis. That's his name. Daryl Davis. What's his name? Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis. Uh, yeah, Daryl. I was pulling Daryl out. I mean, dude, mm-hmm. that's the real work. You talk about a person who's a healer? Yeah, someone, who, someone who's going in there and actually getting in the dirty gritty and yeah. being like, listen, man, you guys are wrong. You're dead wrong, and I'm here. I yeah. know you can kill me. There's a lot of you. Yeah, he said that some some guys have like totally broken down, like cried and shit, and been like, like you know, they're just like almost like to the point where they they become like appalled with their with their conditioning, so to speak. You know that they just can't believe that they were just programmed and almost like you know they didn't even know why they hated black people. They didn't even mm-hmm. know. They didn't even they don't. Like, they don't. A know. lot of them don't. It's just con- it's just straight up your program. They're programmed. I mean, racism is taught. You know what I'm saying? It's, you don't, you're not born with that shit. You know, somebody like that, you're standing in the face of like somebody with that amount of fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Oh. Like, you can't fuck with that. You, you, what a you, strong person, right? Yeah, you can't fuck with that. That's why people be breaking down and falling apart. If you ain't well, stable, you can't look that in the face. You can't deal yeah. with that. No, you can't, man. As of recent, my greatest teacher has been my girl. Because I don't understand shit sometimes. I don't. You're learning, yeah. You're learning through her eyes, right? You know, she's just showing me something. She just she said, "You don't see something." Yeah, it's like when we go out to a club. I'll be sitting there, right? She's like, "Why are you always playing in the corner?" I'm like, "Cause I seen a whole place like this go crazy." Cause I was a bouncer for 17 years of my life. I seen this go off the top. I yeah. seen crazy stuff. She's like, "You don't like being in here." I'm like, no, I don't like groups of men more than seven people. I'm trying to figure out how we're getting out of here. <laughs> That's how I am in public too. Every Claudia always complains. I've about seen that. it go off. <laughs> That's funny. It's crazy, you know. So she, my lady just, complains about that all the time. Every time we go out somewhere, my, the first thing I'm doing in the first half hour is analyzing the situation. <laughs> I'm, I'm increasing my situational aware, uh, situational awareness. I'm getting my, my, my exit strategy down. I'm picking out points of exit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got everything planned. That's what I'm doing for the first half yep. hour. And she can tell, like, the gears are working. Like, I'm not, I'm, on, I'm not relaxed. My shoulders are not dropped. I'm on, like, I'm still, in a sense, peacocking. Because I'm, like, checking around. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm exhibiting this. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> running, running a little tight. Yeah. It's crazy. But that's just guy shit, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but at the same time, that's how I'm staying. I've yeah. seen people get too fucked up at the club and end up with their ass in their hand. Oh, yeah, you've seen it Getting all. Getting rolled out. All them years bouncing in New York City, man, you've seen it all. <laughs> I have. I, I have. I know. I have, man. I was I like, know. you know, like I respect. I at, Sometimes I think about you guys and in the, in the, in the, in you guys studying the Muay Thai. I probably should have started studying with you at that point. But I was fighting three times a week. Yeah, yeah. I was standing there at attention, waiting. Yeah, you didn't want to do fight. it. Fight. 
Like when I woke, I don't think people understood that about me a lot about how, how tight and intense I am because I'll be standing there. I wake up in the morning, you know, I have the Ganjava thing, place of music, and that was my relaxed time. And I was following along with the dream that I continue to follow, continue to write and play music because that's what makes me feel good. But then at nighttime, you know, I wasn't on tour. I didn't have the touring success or musical success in the sense of finance. My adventures are crazy deep. But I had to go hustle, man. I had to go sit in the spot. And then people be like, yo, let's go to this party. I'm like, man, I've been having parties since last week, man. I'm staying home. You were always in the bar or the club working, man, all the time. That's what I'm saying. I, I couldn't. There's a lot of times when we would have a little, you'd have gatherings over your place. That was like time for me to just kick it and relax. I didn't have to worry. If somebody popped off in there, you know, everyone's going to be Everybody's going to be You know, it's, it's like, dude, you're going to get your ass kicked by Christy. <laughs> don't even, we don't even got to do nothing. Like, you're going to get your ass kicked that little lady over there. She's going to kill you. So kick you in the head with a Reebok. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of thing, you know, that stuff is invaluable. Like, I I, I swear to you, I, I'm a self-proclaimed Zen master from working the door. Yeah. Because each Absolutely. and every single person coming to that door, it was like, you're responsible for you. And I need to honor that. And so when you come to me, when some asshole I just got to fight with is not you. So you don't deserve none of that energy coming to you. Right. So I, I compartmentized it and I wiped the sheet clean and then I deal with you. And so by doing that, that shit just came into my life, you know, because there was a couple girlfriends along the way that were like, God damn, yo, you need to chill out. Bring that work home. Dude, I mean, you were dealing with the worst versions of people. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple times. You go, you go fight DMS. Yeah, no thanks. Those dudes are real. Yeah, I know. I'm all set with it. <laughs> Those guys are real. You know, you mess with them, you know, there, there's a problem. Yeah. And they run deep. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I respect those dudes. They hang together. Yeah. They don't separate, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, if, I, if it wasn't for Jimmy Williams one night, dude, I would have been toasted on this, bro. Wow. I had to hold them at the door. The dudes looked at me. I was like, all right, let me get Jimmy real quick. <laughs> he comes and took care of it. But I was like, woo. Yeah, and he's I old. I see it go off. Yeah. He goes, he's old school, too, with them. Yeah, Jimmy Williams. Actually, what you were saying earlier about being yellow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's Puerto same. Rican, black, and Italian. Yeah, he always reminded me of like the same kind of thing. I used to see him be like, he knows exactly what I do. <laughs> You've been dealing with it. You're not black enough. You're not white enough. You're 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 Puerto Rican, um, but you don't speak, speak Spanish. So you're nothing ever. You're not. He enough. was always confused, but that's why Jimmy Jimmy's such a sweet person. You know, Jimmy's so hardcore. But he's such an honorable, sweet dude. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, so it's just, and, and all those guys I bounce with, most of those folks were black folks. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like the street knowledge I have, I hung out with a ton of hippies for a long time when I was growing up. 14 years old, my buddy Todd Davidson, he took care of us, a whole crew of us. He was like, you know, he's 40 years older than me, but that dude was like, a, he was my older brother for a long time. Then when I started being a bouncer in New York, pop. And House and all the guys I used to work with, uh, those dudes just took me under their wing and taught me how to think. They taught me the way to think about how it was going on because they're East New York cats. Yeah. They're East New York and Brownsville guys. And like, yo, 
they have a killer instinct that is above and beyond. But they're so cool about it. So they, you know, that stuff rubbed off of me. I hung out with them every day for, you know, six years. Those dudes just teaching me the ways, man. Yeah. It was, I, I'll never forget those guys for that, man. Just passing that kind of knowledge on to me, being able to view a situation in a different way. Mm-hmm. I remember dude looking at me one time ago. We were standing in front of boot camp click. There was like four of us and like 30 of them. Mm-hmm. He looked at me, he said, Paul, how do you kill an eight-armed demon? Uh, and I looked at him, I said, I don't know. He said, watch. He said, you cut the head off. And he went to the head of all of them, walked right over, talked to them for a little while. And we ended up at the end of the night with uh, Tech and Steel at Russian Strip Club in Queens. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and we were cool. It was, it was crazy. We're, they were about to kill us. Wow. And then popped out with them. And then they were cool with them after that. Tech and Steel, those guys are cool as hell. We ended up at a strip club with them, dude. Who handed me a dime bag of weed, gave me a ride to the house. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this thing is world famous hip hop cat who I really love there. I love I love the way Blue Clan Click rocks. I li- I love listening to them. Sean Price is one of my favorite MCs. But just hanging with those guys that go through that. They left one of their boys got like three private dances, didn't have no money for it. They left them there. Oh, shit. <laughs> Made them walk from Queens back to Manhattan. Damn. That's bad. Dude, we were after hours with the Russian mafia. I was like, dude, I ain't got no money to back. I'm going. <laughs> it's crazy. You guys hanging out at Vixens? I don't know where we were. It was right <laughs> over the bridge. Right <laughs> over the bridge on the right. Island City? Another Queens classic. <laughs> no, it was like a hole in the wall, dude. It was like a the girls danced in the middle. You went over the Casciasco Bridge. It was right there on the right next to the concrete plant. I was like, oh, great. Oh, Those that's – um. Rendezvous well, or something. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, the. <laughs> All I knew was too close to the concrete plant because if they popped you, they're gonna take you across the street. Yeah, I put know. Put you on exactly. one of them curb blocks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was gonna go like a yeah, right on your left when you were going towards the concrete plant. No good it was a rendezvous though. It was like Foxy something or something. Actually, I was gonna rent the upstairs for the Boogie Rock Boys office and practice place, and then one of the and then Brian, the guitar player, was like, "No way." <laughs> I was like, dude, this is the beginning of the greatest time of your life. You know, they started doing that at Pumps. Upstairs from Pumps is rehearsal studios. Dude, if we would have had that place, I wouldn't be here right now. I'll be dead. <laughs> We'd all be dead. I would be I would be dead because there was a part where I went over the falls and the barrel. That's why I had to get out of there. <laughs> Yes. I had to leave New York. I'm pretty sure I was going to die. Troy was re- rehearsing upstairs from Pumps for a while. <laughs> of course he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course he was. He had to. It was like part of his destiny. It is part of his destiny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking out the scene, man. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Dude, that guy, he's another legend. Oh, he's that's one of a kind. Oh, yeah. He's like he's like the dude. He's like uh, Benicio del Toro's character in Fear and Loathing. Oh yeah, <laughs> the best the best possible psychedelic scene ever put on film was the carpet. Oh yes, in the in the casino when it was all like, yeah they got you know, they got it right yeah they nailed it on they that they got movie. that scene right more than anybody else ever did. 
They when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, that's exactly what it looks like. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you felt like you were tripping watching it. They nailed it, man. Yeah, whoever did that. The only other thing that comes close is in uh, Pink Floyd the Wall when Goodbye Blue Sky is playing, but it's animated. And it's a, a building going like, doo, 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 and you see all the trails and everything behind it. Mm. But that's animated, so it's easier to do it. Right, right. Yeah, right. in real life, like, like actual film, Fear and Loathing was the closest it ever came. You know, live at Pompeii, when they slow the drummer solo down, yeah. and then they speed it right back up? I was sitting with my boy. There's this guy named Schmedley. And this was, we lived in Bristol, Connecticut. This guy Schmedley, his name's Alan. He's, he would play guitar for 12 hours at a time, acoustic. But he sat there one night. I was like 15 years old, and I lived with this dude, Todd, and then Smedley let me share his room. So we're sitting in the living room one night, and, he, and I come home, and this dude was tripping face, and he kept rewinding that spot. <laughs> it was a VCR tape. He kept rewinding it. He said, Paulie, look at this. And it just went over and over again. He kept going back. He was like, man, that's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had some premonitions on that. See, I got I got that one permanently. Where is it? Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's the savior. That's the savior <laughs> right there. I swear to you, if I didn't, if I didn't, like, if I didn't take psychedelics, I feel like I would be a more angry person and I would be, I would have probably done time somehow. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like psychedelics turn the page for me. They make it real. Yeah, turned the page for me and definitely, definitely like took down a veil for sure. Where I see the world in a whole different way than I did before ever taking them. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like the world before seemed so small. It was just like my day and like my life and like you know just going around. But then when I did that, I just saw like whoa, like all the feeling. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. All the feelings, yeah, yeah. The way you see everything, and then how you see people in different ways, and just seeing almost like multi-dimensional versions of things and people. You're seeing almost like different versions of the same thing at once, and calculating it in your mind. And it's up to you to do the dishes. <laughs> you know what I'm, I'm like, telling you, man, it saved my life. I was so twisted up as a kid growing up how I grew up and whatever's whatever, everyone's got their own thing. I, I switched schools fifteen times in my life. Damn. So, so I have fought I fought every bully. Every time I went to a new school, I had to fight the bully. And so I just came I was from, I'm from Beacon, New York. I was born in Newburgh, New York, across the river. But I knew that if I told people I was from New York, that they would leave me alone. They would at least give me a second so I could figure it out. So I told people that when I went into this new school. So many people that I know were like, oh, he's from New York. And technically, I'm from New York, but not the city. Now, I didn't say anywhere I was from in the city. I just said I was from New York. So they would just give me a second to leave me alone because they'd be like, I don't know. Maybe that dude's going to do what he's got to do. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I did. But I was just, I had to go through a whole trip, including my best friend, one night, he had his, he had a pregnant girlfriend, and I went all the way to Ohio to be with him because I thought he was going through a lot of trouble. He had mad long hair, he shaved his head, kind of lost his identity in a lot of ways. And then we ate these things. We followed the Grateful Dead a lot, as y'all know. And after putting all the paper down, we used to take the ticket stuff to soak up what was left on mop-ups. And they were, that was high-end business. We were going to the stars. And believe it, I did. So I took it, and we went to go see Dances with Wolves, but it was sold out, thank God. So we went back to the house, and we're talking about him and all his changes and all this. And I looked at him, 
and he didn't even know where I was from because I told him I was from another place. So it started tripping on me. It started making me feel real bad that my best friend didn't know the truth about who I am, but he's in so much problems and he's having so much trouble, but I'm supposed to be his best friend, but I'm just a liar. That's how I felt. So I, I said to him, I remember it distinctly. I said, I've told you no truth. And then the word magic came in my head and I saw turquoise and peach colored lines going, arrows going down the side of his face like he was native people, like native spirit. And I said, I showed, I told you no truth. And then I fell backward and I went out of my body. And when I went out of my body, these native American men came over. I was in outer space basically, like you're looking at a clear night and I saw this flag. And it looked like a Texas flag almost, or a Puerto Rico flag. And I looked, I reached my hand out. And the Native American man reached his hand out to me. And he said, he's our brother. And he pulled me up. And as soon as he pulled me up, all this lesson stuff about telling lies came to me. And they showed me what spirit death was. Like, I have my arms in front of me and then my fingertips. Like, you know how when you get charcoal from the barbecue on your, on your hands? Yes. My hands started to fall away like charcoal. Disintegrate, yeah. And become nothing, like oh. spirit death. And I was scared. I went through that for about eight hours of, of going through this. And there was a lot that happened in there. Yeah. But what I was told was if I didn't if I didn't come to and live the truth in my life that I was going to experience spirit death. And this is what has made me who I am and live the way I live till forever, basically. Ever since that day, the next day that I came down, I sat down, probably six or seven of my friends, and I told them what I did. And they were cool about it, and they understood why I did what I did, and that I need to peel that mask away from myself in order to find my true spiritual meaning and my true spiritual purpose. And I feel like that is what sent me down the path that I've walked. It changed my life to the point where I understood no matter what, you have to tell the truth. It might be alone. The truth is a lonely place, but at least you know you're being true and yeah. honoring your own spirit and honoring the people who are around you. It was the hardest, most beautiful thing that ever happened to me ever. You know, and luckily my friends were wise enough to, to like give me a second chance to help me out. And so from that point on, you know, I was only 17 years old figuring out what I had to figure out. But once it moved past that, it's pretty deep for a 17-year-old. I was just going to say, when I was 17, we were dropping acid and playing pinball and like <laughs> hanging out in an arcade. I didn't have any experiences like that till it was like later on. Shit, I feel that like that deep. was destiny for me, though. First time I took LSD was I was at a skate park doing board slides and just becoming one with the skateboard and loving yeah. every single bit of it. When was the last time you took psychedelics? Probably four years ago. It was at the plank, just chilling at the plank. You know, the, that kind of thing is like a little reminder, a little refresher course. Yeah, the microdosing. There's a couple of people that I know and deal with, but they always do things like that. And they feel more in tune with a lot of things that are going on around them. Yeah. It's one of those things where like at, at our age, and I feel like we're kind of settled into who we are. And it allows us to keep evolving in the sense of our spirituality and understanding. Because if you stay still for too long, you know, yeah. it's just, it's the same thing over and over again. There's, there is movement and there's like, there's intricacies inside of that. Man, I want to do that shit until I'm 90. You don't want to do it. I do. 
Oh, you oh you want to do it? I do. You, I, yeah. I think I think like there's a lot of research going on right now for that kind of thing for people who are bipolar, people who have like trauma, yeah. soldiers. I think it helped people but, live longer, man, for sure. Bro, I think it once you free your your soul from things that are adding stress to your life and just constantly grinding on you, I feel like those are the things that make you. Food is a component and all that stuff, but also I think if you have if your spirit is healthy then you can always be okay yeah you know there's certain things that you got to do that heals you physically too not just spiritually when you get rid of things that are that are for example untruths it heals your physical just as much your mental your mental your physical as well mm -hmm. i feel like that has a lot to do with healing your, your uh, right that's vibrational body. that's spiritually vibrational yeah. That's like, that's the whole chakra system. Like, people want to clown that shit because people make it goofy, man. Yeah, they make it goofy. That's, that's They make shit good. goofy, yo. This is a 4,000-year-old practice. Yeah. They want to make a goddamn granola commercial about it. Yeah. I'm like, dude, <laughs> right. cut it out, man. You're fucking disrespecting the whole thing. These are like, this is like a system that happens through right. a whole culture. And, like, you're making the shit. Yeah. You're making these dudes who are way more enlightened and understanding than you and are on a whole nother vibrational level look yeah. like clowns because you want to wear fucking Lululemon and hang out with fucking Coffee Girl. There's money to be made off of everything. That's what it is. Monetization of shit, too. That leads me to a whole nother thing about monetization of skateboarding. Oh, Lord. Don't even get me started on that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm just saying the monetization of skateboarding took the fucking soul right out of it. Yeah. Like Jeff Grasso, he just passed away, right? Mm -hmm. That dude bitched about shit because he was mad punk, man. He yeah. was sold that way. He was like totally anti. But then you have somebody like Tony Hawk, who I was just listening to on a podcast, and he was talking about like how he was getting punk or like, you know, when he got his first deal to do like a commercial or endorsements and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, you know, I was succeeding in life. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not fucking mad at him. Everything grows, man. I'm not mad at him. No, I'm not mad at him either. But you can't deny that he was probably the number one. Hit the stratosphere like that. To push to push skateboarding into that realm. He's definitely well, the number one He's the number most one consistent. Yeah. The number one person to like that's responsible for pushing skateboarding into the monetization realm, for sure. I think beyond Tony Hawk, it's probably Stacey Peralta. Well, it's them two together. So Stacey Peralta was taking Tony Hawk all over the place and signing him up into contests and shit. That was like his like, right, he had foresight. manager guy. And he was mad young, like yeah. doing kid. crazy he, shit. Like a kid. He started with, I think his first contest, he was like 13 or something. Yeah. He was him and like Danny way. I remember that. Like those both, they both started out super, super young. Yeah. Crazy. All those dudes, like, I just seen a video about band this. Like a documentary the, they made a video about, they redid a reunion of band this. Oh, wow. Crazy. I gotta check that you know, out. All those guys are coming back to the same spots and talking about their memories and stuff, just like they did in the Bones Brigade documentary. But, you know, yeah. the Bones Brigade documentary was, they did that really good. They tried to do that with Bandits on a smaller level. But I can appreciate that. That did have effect. It was huge social things, you know? But yeah. I'm talking about the soul of skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. It was, the, it was the weirdos. It was, I did get beat up in a parking lot for riding a skateboard. Mm hmm. We did get chased around by the jocks. Me too. Me oh, too. hell yeah, man. Plenty you of know, fights. We, we were not, just, not just jocks, too. Also, like, dudes from the projects, man. Everybody. They would show, they would show up at the skate spot and fucking chase you. How do they all fight you or whatever? 
Yeah, just because they didn't, they didn't. I remember when it changed over. When I had my skate shop, all these dudes from the project started buying skateboards, and they were like, oh, "I can fuck a skateboard too. I'm gonna try it." So all these dudes started buying skateboards that never skated. It was kind of crazy. Like there were a few people of color when I was coming up skateboarding. Not many, not many where I was at. And all of a sudden, it became like it just changed over. But back in the day, you would get beat up or chased or whatever the fuck. It was not. It was you weren't like the cool dude. No, and now you are not. Now skateboarding has influenced everything. It has, but in I gotta tell you, the New York City scene though, like when we were in the nineties, when which it was got, shut, t- which yeah. shut, and Nimbus, those were mixed up though. There was like there was yeah, that was yeah. Qlon Douglas, that's New York City though. Was ripping <laughs> Jeff Jeff Pang was ripping yeah. Like those those white kids, there was like, you know, there was there was all kinds of like Mike Kepper, Brian Blake. Mm-hmm. All these dudes, there was white dudes mixed with black dudes. Jeff Pang is half Chinese. Like, mm-hmm. all those characters in New York, Charlie who ran Nimbus, and then the kids, even the kids in Connecticut from Nava, Lou from Nava, he was a he, he was a black kid. He owned it. He owned that company. This other kid, Abram from New Haven, I can't remember his last name, but he was a nasty dude. He could kill it. He had, like, his loose leg. He would do melancholies and, like, that shit out so horrible. It was so good. It was just incredible. Yeah. Skateboarding is still. I got. I got a board. I skated a skate park not too long ago, uh-huh. and my it just rolling around. And my girl was like, "You're gonna break your body." <laughs> I grabbed that skateboard. I jumped on it, dude. I did. I kicked up that. I did a nice kick turn on the quarter pipe. Brian, it come around, pumped the pumped the whole park, popped that thing up. She was like, "What?" Nice. I said, man, this is the best thing ever, right? I here. remember you used to kill my rent, my my half pipe. I love that. <laughs> then I just I don't know what happened. I went to Japan and they fed me too much. The first time I met you was on on Bedford Avenue, probably 1998. Yeah. And I had a I had my skateboard in my hand. I was standing on the corner. You came over to me. You started talking to me. I think you rapped for a little bit. Then you asked me if you I could... had a necro shirt on. Remember? Yes, you did have a necro. Damn, you remember that <laughs> shit? Holy fuck! Yeah, we talked about that. We yeah, talked you were about like, necro. You like necro? Yeah, I was, I, was like, I was like, I don't know. I was like, it, it was like, I was like, I don't. We had a little little thing about it, and um, I remember you going, "Yo, can, can I borrow your skateboard for a second? And I looked at you, and I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> you, <I gotta laughs> but you knew I worked at the coffee shop, though. I was like, I don't know, and you were like, that was at you're the like, yeah, you're, you're like real quick, right here. And you dropped it on the ground, and you did a, a 180 kickflip off the fucking sidewalk. And I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, Check out this dude. <laughs> yeah. That's what I knew. Because we talked about skateboarding for a little bit, and then you did that. And I was like, all right, yeah, he could skate. I was like, he could skate. Oh, that's the shit. I love it, man. There's there's not, there's like, there's like a park with like a couple of quarter pipes and stuff down in Myrtle Beach from here. Nice. It's just like a little bit out of reach. But if there was one, if I lived in town and there was a park, I'd be at that thing every day. I wish because I would just pump around. It'd be so good for exercise. Yeah. I was thinking mm-hmm. about getting a, I was going to get a little quarter pipe for the driveway because Dita and Zorian, they got their skateboards and shit and get, get something to like for us to fuck around with on in the yard, you know? Maybe get a rail or something, like a little slide rail, you know? A little quarter pipe is fun, man. Yeah, little yep, quarter exactly. Pipe. A little three foot, a little three foot, you know, nothing crazy. I'm but yeah, man. Around now. That's the greatest. 
Yeah, that I love skateboarding, man. Skateboarding like is responsible for so much in my life. Yeah, like even on my personal life, Damien Silver. Mm -hmm. He's you know, he's he's still involved in skateboarding. He skates all the time. Yep. He goes all over the place. His influence and his art is so up in converse. Yep. You know, I was telling him today, I was texting him today, I said, Man, you gotta go on the tiger pit because he's He's got so much interest. He's got he's got so much interesting shit going on in his mind as just an artist. I reached out to him maybe a week and a half ago. I had reached out to him about the Tiger Pit not that long before that, but I, I hit him I, up a week and a half. I put ago. another I put another word in for the Tiger nice. Pit today. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, I was trying. I hit him up because I was trying to get him to do some artwork for our for the Cool and Deadly next record coming out. Oh man, he's got some. He's got some. He's got some really cool shit going yeah, on right now. Yeah, he gets now. it too, you know? He gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, dude, you already know he's one of my best people in the world. Yeah, he's, he's, he's his, his mind His mind, and how he thinks mm -hmm. and operates, he's another just exemplary human being that I yeah. that, Like, I feel so lucky. If I didn't have shit in the world, and what do I got? I got a, I got a truck, so is that something? I don't know. But my most valuable thing is my relationships. Yeah. Like, my people... I cannot see you. I cannot see Bill, Josh. I cannot see the club people, who, the men and women who are close to me. I cannot see them for a while, man, and feel like I just stood right next to them the whole time. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, if I feel yeah. bad, I mean, if I feel been, bad or good, it's just so valuable, though. I mean, it's probably been what, like, three years since me and you've been in the same room. Yeah, it's true. Right, right? three years. Yeah. Before that, it was like I saw you almost every week for like twenty years. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna tell you something right now. Me and my girl are gonna move to Harper because we decided she 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 wants to be in a place where it's more diverse. And I'm like, that'll be there, my friends and family. Yeah, I call Connecticut home, just like I call New York home. Yeah, and I like Connecticut because it's kind of like Delaware. Wow, Nobody so cares about it. Nobody even <laughs> thinks about Connecticut. Or Delaware. Yeah, Connecticut is definitely my least favorite state. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I got to drive through it all the time. It's not a destination. I got to drive through <laughs> Connecticut all the time, so I'm always like, fucking Connecticut, goddamn. That's what I'm talking about. It's a drive. So that's a drive-by state, right? Oh, I'll be on, I'll be driving, and Bill will text me, yo, you in Connecticut? He'll literally text me that shit while I'm on a drive. Just <laughs> know that the chances of me being in Connecticut <laughs> – is pretty good, and he knows I'm gonna be like, oh fucking my. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Connecticut looking today. <laughs> so you drive through it, right? But you don't stop. No, no, I. Yo, no. yo, just keep it moving. That's what I'm talking about. Although I've played, we've played Hartford <laughs> a few times at a place that you put us on to, and we always had a good time. Remember that joint, Sully's. I'm, yep, Sully's. I'm yep. gonna go back over there, and Sully's is no longer. It's the oh really. No really? Money. But it was like a yeah, pizza joint to the side of it and all that? They, I, I always thought they would make the money. Yeah, they had a nice little setup there. Wow. I don't know what the politics of what they had going on, but I, I love that place. Me too. The owner looked like he liked to party too, so I don't know. <laughs> nah, he's cool. Daryl and his family, they own Lena's Pizza. That place was a pizza place, was a legend in that city. And it like folded? His, Everything his, folded? His mother, all that. The, the bar, the bar was the an afterthought, actually. So no, the bar was an afterthought. Lena's have been there forever. But what folded, the bar or everything? 
Uh, the landlord, the landlord wouldn't let him stay in that building. Oh fuck, damn! You know, I hate that shit. I hate you have Don't, a successful. That's my worst nightmare with the barbershop. You have a successful business, but you're at the mercy of the motherfucking landlord. If that landlord says, "Yo, you gotta bounce." Hey, guess what? You ain't got no more mm -hmm. business. It's over unless you can. You have the bread to uproot yourself, move it to another place, build it out, move yourself there. Have the luck that everybody's gonna follow you to this new location, and that it's not uh -huh. gonna impede the flow of traffic that you once had. You're just at the fucking mercy of. That's crazy when you have business. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'll be happy because I get to be closer to y'all. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I get to be closer to Damien. Justin lives in Hartford. Oh, that's right. He does live in Hartford. Yeah. Oh, you'd be good, man. I'll be straight this yeah, way. You get to get to we me. Can at least get that one year. We can get that one year party. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. you know, that one year party going on I'll be an hour and a half from you I'm saying plus I got a I got a little Toyota Tacoma now nice. I'm in the wind <laughs> I had to sell my motorcycle though. oh you did sell that yeah I, I, my girl don't like me on it so I told her I'll sell no. it my mother don't like me on it either a lot of there was a weekend down here last summer my mom there was, and my there was an average of four people a weekend dying on motorcycles yeah, no, it's dangerous. They're dangerous, man, for sure. They're dangerous. I'm gonna give me a rope king, though. Believe it. If she's on the back of it, I think she'll like it a lot better. <laughs> it's just that I would leave and be like, "I'll be back." <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's going on with the music, man? I just been writing and learning how to play guitar better, and feeling like that's going on. But like, yo, I'm a working man. That's what I do. Like, yeah, I yeah. come home. I got a really nice, like, handmade. Uh, from that guy Haywire, Rick at Haywire has a contact for handmade guitars, and he sold me a handmade acoustic guitar for 125 bucks. Wow! And nice. then I got this um, this little Ibanez Archstar hollow body, and I got a uh, I got a Vox amp, like a Vox tube amp. Yep. And now I'm tripping on tone. I got the big muff going on. And I want to get a uh, oh, you're rocking out. Either a blues driver or like a tube kind of a fuzz pedal a tube drive or something kind of like that fat reverb with a little bit of grit in there. And the music I've been making is like simple chords and simple music. And like I love playing music with the boogie rock boys, right? Yeah. Because some of those guys, it's like I love the technical side of music, but I like the soul side of music. Like you could be a jazz jock. And that shit's cool in a certain thing, but I'm not that person. I'm just not that dude. So I play simple chords and write simple music. And if people like it, it's awesome. And as soon as I took the business out of music, I started liking it a lot better. Yeah, me too, actually. Because I chased, I chased the dream for a really long time, and it doesn't mean that's over or anything like that. Yep. It's just I put a lot of money into recording records and songs and studios that never came out. Yeah. So it's it's that mm -hmm. like that that kind of thing is it's it's hard to do. Why don't you put it out now? Well, I got a studio. I got That's a studio, weird. and then I'm gonna start doing some shit with with uh, Justin and a couple of the homeboys up in Hartford. I also produced a, a short film while I was in New York. It made the Williamsburg Film Festival, and got all kinds of good words and all kinds of good shit that happened. It's called uh, Williamsburg Now and Then. My mother and her friends. How do we not know this? I didn't tell anybody because it was about Vic. It was Vic. His mother was working for Jimmy Knapp. And Jimmy Knapp was the dude who got busted for trying to kill John Gotti. He never did no time for it. But 
The FBI busted him before they he could get to John Gotti because he was going to kill John Gotti. But his mother worked for him for 30 years. Like in my house where I lived in Williamsburg, that used to be the kill house. Wait, that above from uh, above Black Betty? Commodore. Yeah. From, like there was a tunnel. From Black Betty. That, <laughs> from Black Betty. Yeah. That's how often from I go to Williamsburg. Black Betty. There was a tunnel <laughs> that went under the Black Betty uh-huh. because it used to be a plumbing and piping factory across the street where Diddy Factory is. Yeah. And they used to kill people in that building and take them under that road, get rid of the bodies. Oh, crazy. Real talk. And then it was like, Vic kept telling me all these stories. So I timelined all this story. And his mother, they, her nickname was Rikers Island Rose. Whoa. Because she went to jail so many times for them, they started calling her Rikers Island Rose. <laughs> Holy shit. And then he kept telling me the stories. So I would sit there and talk to him and write down the stories and write down the stories. And then I had, I had that little logic studio I got still. So I just had Vic tell me the stories. We'd sit there and drink a little bit of whiskey, and then he'd go off talking about the stories. I recorded them all, and then I timelined all his pictures, put all this stuff together, and then he came out with it. It's on YouTube. It's on Vic Martino, V-I-C Martino. Yeah. And then you go into his thing, and this 20-minute version of it is the one that I produced. I'm going to check it out. It's, it's incredible. I got pictures of Jimmy Knapp and all the gangsters from Williamsburg from the 70s. Wow. Video. I had eight millimeter film. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I gotta check that out. That's crazy. Well, yo, fellas, I gotta call it, man. What's that? I gotta roll. You gotta roll? Yeah. You bouncing out on us? I'm closing out on you. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all good. Uh, it was awesome, man. Super good hang. Yeah, man. It was good catching. We gotta out. do this shit again, whether whether we got the thing in the back or not. Let's do it, man. Whenever you want. Let the people know where they can find you, man. You go, Paulie Ethnic on Facebook. That's where I'm at. I'm going to put some live performances up soon, actually. Yeah. I'm going to do some recording now that I learned how to do this. Yeah, you, you got know, I'm not that tech savvy all the way down here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better figure it out because you're coming up to Hartford. I'm definitely getting ready to do that. That's only a couple months from now, so let's, let's make a plan to hang this fall when you get up here. Absolutely. Damien said the same thing. Yeah, I'm down for that. For sure. All right, well, yo, love you, fellas, man. All right, man, one love. All right, you too, man. All right, brother. Peace. All right, peace. Once again, I want to thank Mr. Pauly Ethnic for joining us on this episode of the show. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the Tiger Pit Podcast. We can check out more stuff we're doing and check out past episodes. Take it easy.